Open your Bibles with me and turn to John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 30 this afternoon. Just hold your Bible open there at that place. We'll come to it in just a moment. Many of you know that uh, Joanne and I went to the United States uh, about a month ago, unfortunately, first to attend a pastor's conference and then to help my parents move from the home that they've lived in for 54 years into a retirement community. And it got more difficult for us when we both caught COVID, first time to catch COVID, and we ended up extending our stay there in the U.S. for an additional nine days. Some of that was actually due to flight delays, but we have finally made it back. We arrived back on Thursday morning. It's so good to be back with you and see your faces and sing with you and pray with you and now hear God's Word with you. Thank you for those of you who knew about some of that, maybe, and were praying for us. We are so thankful for that. Sorting through all of my parents' earthly belongings, packing them up, and then unpacking them just a few days later, I was reminded of how much I've learned from my father. You know, I ran across all kinds of pictures, uh, from my childhood and mementos that uh, reminded me of experiences as we went through all those belongings. Much of what I learned about from my father was how to solve problems and how to work with my hands. My father is good at that. And uh, in moving, my father is leaving behind a workshop that is just absolutely loaded with tools of every shape and size that you could imagine. And we often used those tools together when I was growing up. I have memories of working alongside my dad as we built a small one-man motorboat together. It actually worked. I drove it on a lake. There were many times as well that I held those tools at the ready. I wasn't actually doing the work. I was just the the, the, the helper uh, alongside my dad, and I pointed the flashlight maybe down under the hood of the car so that he could finish fixing the car. I think that's one of the reasons that I love to spend hours in hardware stores just looking at all the tools, wishing I owned them, even though I don't have things to fix or I don't have things to build. A man has to have his tools, you know. My experiences growing up with my father, they have shaped me. They've influenced me. And if you got to know him very well, you'd recognize some of who he is in me. In our passage today, we learn directly from Jesus about his relationship with his father in heaven. We learn how he's equal with his father and the ways that he carries out his father's work, and the things that he's been authorized to do that no one else can do. Only God can do. This is one of the most profound and weighty passages of Scripture in John's Gospel, and it's one of the key passages that eventually shaped the church's understanding of God as Trinity, the understanding that the one and only true God is three persons 
and one substance or essence. Now, before we read together, let me just quickly remind you of where we are in John's gospel account. It's been a number of weeks. John the Baptist has introduced us to Jesus with his testimony that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Disciples have gathered to Jesus, many of them from John's disciples. Jesus has turned water into wine, and He's driven the money changers out of the temple. He's rebuked a confident Pharisee in Jerusalem, and He shared the good news that He Himself is the source of eternal life with an entire Samaritan village, and they believed in Him. And then with a word, He healed an official son. And here at the beginning of chapter 5, on the Sabbath day, He's healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years simply by commanding him to get up, take his mat, and walk. Now, tension between the Jewish leaders and Jesus has been building, but the conflict is about to become deadly serious. Let's read John chapter 5 verses 16 through 30. Follow along in your Bibles as I read out loud, beginning with verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because He was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that through these words of Jesus that ring true, that ring out even today, that we would behold the only Son of the living God, the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us marvel at Him. Help us believe in Him. Help us honor Him. Help us anticipate even His return. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The main message of this passage today is that Jesus is God the Son who gives life and judges. Jesus is God the Son who gives life and judges Verses 16 through 18 at the beginning of our passage explain that an intense conflict has arisen between the Jews and Jesus, and it was brought on by two particular issues. First, Jesus had healed the paralyzed man there on the Sabbath day, and the Jews saw that that was a serious breaking of the fourth commandment. And so Jesus defended Himself against that charge. In verse 17, he told them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3 tell us that God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day. And so, rest from work on the Sabbath was the pattern of life then that he commanded for his people Israel. You can go look it up there in Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's repeated as well. But just because God rested on the seventh day doesn't mean that God hasn't done any work since creation. That should make sense to all of us as we read the Scriptures. God is constantly working, for example, to sustain and uphold His creation. God keeps causing the grass to grow and the planets to orbit the sun on the Sabbath. God does work to daily provide for His people. If you eat dinner tonight, it's because God has worked to provide for you and I. But Jesus' answer didn't persuade them. In fact, it intensified the conflict because now they understood that Jesus was calling God His own Father. And so now they want to kill Jesus. It's bad enough that He was healing and doing miracles on the Sabbath, but now they understand Him to be claiming equality with God. The rest of our text is Jesus' reply to these hostile Jews. It's His defense, so to speak, of how He can say that how he can claim that God is his own father. Now we're going to break up Jesus' reply based on his three statements that begin with the phrase, truly, truly. It's, it means that Jesus is saying to them, look, I solemnly say to you this. He's saying, listen up, this is truth. 
And so the first truly, truly statement runs from verse 19 to 23. We learn here that we should honor Jesus as God. That's the first point in the three-point outline this afternoon. Honor Jesus as God. Jesus begins his defense by first declaring that what his relationship with the Father is like. Look there at verse 19. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus is teaching that he does exactly what the Father does. Whatever the Father's activity is, is what Jesus' activity is. They are always working together in perfect unison and unity of purpose. Now, one important fact to remember about Jesus as we read through His teaching and really through the rest of the book of John and, and, and all the other Gospels for that matter is to remember that Jesus has two wills because He has two natures. And this makes Jesus unique of unique compared to any other human being that walked the face of the earth. Our will is the property of our mind that gives us the ability to make decisions and take action. Jesus has a divine nature, which He has had from all eternity past, and because He is of the same substance of the Father. He has the same nature as the Father. He has a divine nature. And so he has the same will as his Father. But then Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He became a man. He took on flesh. He didn't lose his divine nature when he took on flesh, but he added a human nature. You and I only have one nature. A human nature. And so we have one will. When we sin in our thoughts or our actions, then our will is not aligned with God's will. But both of Jesus' wills were always in perfect alignment and agreement with the Father's will. That's why Scripture can both declare that Jesus is God and Jesus was obedient to the Father. If Jesus says in verse 19 that He does whatever the Father does, it means that He must have the same abilities as the Father. He must be almighty. He must be omniscient. He must be all-present and infinite in every perfection. He must be God. So as we read through the rest of Jesus' statements, I want you to remember that Jesus has two wills. For example, in the very last verse of our passage, Jesus talks about His will in comparison to the Father's will. He does the Father's will. There He's speaking about His human will. But there's more to Jesus' relationship with the Father than equality of ability and unity of will. There's also His love between the Father and the Son. 
Look at verse 20 with me. It says, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. When we trust Jesus for salvation, we gain access to this inter-intra-Trinitarian love. We get to share in it. It overflows to us. And later in the book of John, Jesus is going to teach more about that love and how we gain access to it. But here we see Jesus announcing that the Father loves the Son and therefore shows Him everything. When you think to yourself that God is love, remember that His love for you is an overflow of His love for the Son and the Son's love for His Father as well. Knowing that there's mutual love between the Father and the Son should give us great confidence and great comfort. In a similar way, when parents show their children how much they love each other, it provides a safe and secure and loving environment for children. This is God's design, of course. Parents, do your children see your love for one another? Do they hear you express love in words and see you show your love in kind and compassionate deeds? Just as we learn to love by seeing the love between the Father and the Son, children first learn to love others by seeing it modeled between their parents. But Jesus says even more in that verse. He declares that the Father will show Him even greater works than these so that you may marvel. The Father and the Son have even more in store to reveal to the Jews, and we're going to see it throughout the book of John. What are those greater works? Well, Jesus continues, and He tells us in verse 21 and 22, Jesus the Son will give life to the dead, just like the Father gives life to the dead. And then He goes on and He says the Son will exercise judgment over mankind because the Father gives Him that authority, the authority to judge. Life-giving and judgment are the greater works of Jesus as authorized by the Father. And these powers and authority that only God has and that Jesus the God-man will exercise so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now think about it for just a moment. Jesus is standing there in front of these Jews and He's saying, you need to honor me just like you honor God. This is stunning. These are amazing statements. He's telling these Jews that He deserves all of the worship that they give the Father just as much. They should worship Him. He deserves worship. And just to make it clear, Jesus states what the situation is like for those who don't honor the Son. Look there at the end of verse 23 with me. He says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. You can't say to yourself, I love God and I believe in God, but I don't believe that Jesus is God. I'm honoring God, 
but I don't believe that I need to honor Jesus. J.C. Ryle, famous Liverpool pastor, says, whenever anyone through ignorance or pride or unbelief neglects Christ but professes at the same time to honor God, he's committing, committing a mighty error and so far from pleasing God is greatly displeasing Him. Now, if you're not a Christian and you find yourself saying that you love God and you believe in God, but you don't believe in Jesus as God, oh, friend, I beg of you, listen to Jesus here. Listen to His words. He is plain and clear, and you need to take these words of Jesus seriously. You can't even admire Jesus, I think, if you ignore what Jesus is saying here. To dishonor Jesus, to believe that Jesus is merely a wise teacher or simply a prophet or only one of many good moral examples of how to live for God, to believe these things is to live in constant and ongoing rebellion and conflict with the God who made you. You are rejecting His Son. And when you reject His Son, you're rejecting Him. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do? These words of Jesus are, of course, the reason why we disagree with our Muslim friends when they say that they honor Allah by viewing Jesus as merely a prophet of God. It's not enough. Jesus is God. And He demands our honor and our worship. Brothers and sisters, we as Christians live and think and eat and play and speak and work all to the honor of Jesus. Let's consider just one aspect of our lives for a moment. What you say with your mouth. Are you praying and working to only speak words that honor Jesus as Lord and Savior, as God? Our words are a reflection of what's in our hearts. And when we speak carelessly or harshly or with grumbling and complaining spirit, we are not honoring the Lord Jesus. Jesus' words are profound and deep, but they are clear. He is equal with the Father, having the power and the authority to give life to whom He chooses and the right to stand in judgment over everyone who has ever lived. He is God, and we should honor Him as God. Now, the second truly, truly statement of Jesus is there in verse 24. It's only that single verse. And there we learn to believe Jesus for eternal life. That's the second point in the outline this afternoon. Believe Jesus for eternal life. Look there again with me at verse 24. It's, a, it's another amazing declaration by Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word 
and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus' teaching, if you've noticed, isn't organized with a completely sequential and separate thoughts. It's not like He talks about one thing and then He necessarily moves on to the next thing, leaving the first thing behind. No, He tends to speak in circles, always coming back to what He's spoken about before and further illuminating it, adding to it. He repeats Himself and adds to the meaning of what He's been saying. And so we've already learned in verse 21 that Jesus gives life to the dead, to those He chooses. And we know that He's been given the right and authority to judge people. But here we learn He has been chosen to receive life. He gives life to those He chooses, rather, I should say. And those who believe in Him avoid judgment. Those who hear Jesus' words and believe the Father's words that Jesus is saying, remember Jesus only does and says what the Father does and says, they are the ones who have eternal life. They've literally passed from death to life, He says. Once again, we see in this verse the unity between the Father and the Son in how Jesus emphasizes and phrases it. He says, those who hear my words and believe Him who sent me. When you hear Jesus' words and believe His words, you're hearing the Father's words. Jesus doesn't say anything that isn't also the Father's words. Just as Jesus will say to His disciple Philip later on in the gospel, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, we could also say whoever has heard Jesus has heard the Father. You may remember that Jesus told Nicodemus back in chapter 3, that Pharisee who came to Him in the middle of the night, He told him, whoever believes in God's only Son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. He was teaching that condemnation hangs over our heads because we're sinners. Friends, prior to believing in Christ, we stood condemned by our sin. The Bible makes it clear that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, just like it says in Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We breathed in and out. Our hearts were pumping life-giving blood through our bodies prior to knowing Christ, but we were condemned by our sin and we were spiritually dead, no matter how religious or spiritual we thought we were. But Jesus has life in Himself, and He gives eternal resurrection life to those dead people who hear His words and believe in Him. There is a spiritual resurrection that takes place when a person puts their trust in Christ. It is spiritual, but it is very, very real, and it has eternal and physical consequences. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, go on to say this, but God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him. Do you hear the resurrection language there? He's raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But take note, believing here isn't simply checking a box. I believe that Jesus is God. Believing here includes trusting and obeying. Trusting and obeying are a part of the believing package. The glorious good news of the gospel is that your judgment, the judgment, the condemnation that hangs over your head can be avoided now by believing in Jesus, the Son of God. Eternal life can begin now. In fact, it must begin now in this life before the day of judgment. Now, He promises here eternal life. Ten-year life lasts for ten years. Eighty-year life lasts for eighty years. And in both cases, it ends in death. But eternal life, eternal life lasts for eternity. It never ends. Brothers and sisters, the moment you trusted in Christ, this resurrection happened to you you immediately began to experience resurrection life if you've trusted in Christ. Do you struggle with doubts about whether you've received eternal life, whether you're really a Christian? You know, our fight with sin and temptation, of course, continues. And our sin and the brokenness of the world we live in brings pain and it brings heartache and oftentimes it brings doubts to us especially when we find ourselves sinning. Am I really a Christian? Do I really have eternal life? Brothers and sisters, when you doubt, ask yourself this, do I believe in the Lord Jesus? And if the answer is yes, and if the evidence of your belief in Him is repentance for your sin and an ongoing effort to live in obedience to Him, be assured Eternal life is yours. Your sins will not be counted against you. Jesus is the friend of sinners who believe in Him. You are a friend and brother of the judge. And so you will not have to stand in that court. What a wonderful verse to memorize and hide in your heart. Verse 24. That just might be the best way that you can be strengthened in your assurance of salvation this week. I encourage you, write this verse on a post-it note. Put it in your bathroom or stick it on your rearview mirror. Work together with someone that you're meeting up with for discipleship to memorize it together. Parents, teach it to your children and practice it over the dinner table. There is no greater promise of the Lord Jesus than this great promise that those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. And so we take Jesus' words to heart and we believe the words given to Him by the Father to gain eternal life. 
our last group of verses introduced by truly, truly continue with the theme of our ability to gain eternal life now. But then Jesus presses us to look beyond the opportunity of eternal life that we have today, encouraging us to look to the future, to that important, great day of judgment that Scripture promises. We see those verses 25 through 30 beginning with truly, truly, and they teach us to expect Jesus will judge. That's the third point this afternoon. Expect Jesus will judge. In verse 25, Jesus reemphasizes that resurrection life can be had now by anyone when they hear and believe His words. Jesus says here, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And Jesus backs up this claim of being able to impart life now because He's God by telling the Jews that the Son has been granted by the Father to have life in Himself. The same Jesus who spoke and life was created on the earth. What we read about in Genesis chapter 1 is the same Jesus who has now taken on flesh and walks among the people that He's created. And if He did it once, He can do it again. And He'll demonstrate it, of course, with His final sign in chapter 11 of John's gospel when He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Dead Lazarus rises up and walks out, still clothed in grave clothes. Here in verse 27, Jesus recounts that He has received authority to execute judgment, but He adds that He's received this because He's the Son of Man. He's now used two different titles for Himself there in verses 25 through 27. Son of God, of course, is referring to His pre-incarnate divine role. And then the Son of Man is a title that He's referring to His incarnate role as the perfect, sinless Messiah born of the Spirit through Mary. It's likely that all of the knowledgeable Jews who were hearing Him on that day would have thought of the famous Son of Man passage that's in Daniel chapter 7. It says there in Daniel chapter 7, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man, and He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him, and to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. It was a vision that Daniel had seen hundreds of years before Jesus' day. This Son of Man in Daniel 7 is, the com- is coming as a king and ruler. He's someone with the right to judge the people in His kingdom. Jesus is that man. But now, Jesus presses the Jews around Him to consider not only the Son of God's role in giving life and having authority to judge, He will also finally judge and confirm the life that He's given to all whom He's chosen. 
We know He's speaking about the future because of what He says in verse 28. Look there with me. He says, do not marvel at this, referring to what He's just told them, that He has the power to bestow life and He's been given judgment. He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. And those who have done those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You see, unlike verse 25 where he says the hour is now here, this hour that he's speaking of in verse 28 is still coming. It's not yet arrived. And these verses echo another important passage in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter of Daniel. It says at the beginning of Daniel 12, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, in other words, those who are dead, shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's virtually the same words that Jesus is speaking here. Even on the day of judgment, Jesus will be unified with the Father in His judgments. Verse 30 drives home just what He said in verse 19, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. You may be asking yourself, why Jesus says in verse 24 that all who believe in Him have eternal life now? But in verse 29, he speaks of those who've done good and then those who have done evil. Is he contradicting himself? Is it faith or is it works that save? This is a theme that's throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. But Scripture is clear, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that alone saves never comes alone. It comes with works. It's followed by works. It's always accompanied by works. People who have faith in Jesus seek to obey Jesus. They live for Jesus. You cannot work your way into Christ's kingdom, but a profession of faith is discredited as false by a life that lacks any obedience to Christ. This is why we often ask in a membership interview, not only for people to explain the gospel to us, do you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, but we ask them, how is your life different now that you've trusted in Christ? Are there some kind of works in your life that demonstrate that you have saving faith? Friends, we must expect that Jesus will judge. He will hold to account every person who has ever lived. Hitler, Mother Teresa, kings and princes and presidents, your parents, your friends, your enemies, even you. Listen to the description of the Son of God in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. We're going to see Jesus this way. 
John said, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the same Jesus who holds out eternal life to any who believe in Him now. But there will be a day when it will be too late. He will judge. He will come on that white steed and it will be final. Oh, do you think about Psalm 2 that Ruth read to us earlier in the service when you hear these verses from Revelation? This Jesus leading the hosts of the armies of heaven, the Son of the living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about the very last verse of Psalm 2, that psalm where God is laughing in derision at the nations who are raging against His anointed Son. What does it tell us? Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Have you taken refuge in Jesus? If you haven't, you can today. I'm preaching the very words of Jesus to you. If you believe in him, if you believe these words, If you repent of your sin and live to honor this Son, He will be your refuge on that day. But if you refuse, He will be your judge. Christians, we can look forward to His judgments because we have been acquitted of our offenses against this King. This promise of His judgment will be a great day for us, church. And in the meantime, as we wait, we must proclaim this Jesus who is, even now, saving and giving eternal life. Let that move us to zealously proclaim the good news of the gospel to everyone around around us, to family, to friends, even to foes. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, you must make your choice. Either this man Jesus was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us find ourselves continuously kneeling at the feet of this Jesus, brothers and sisters. And call as many as possible to do the same, to honor Jesus as God, 
to believe Jesus for eternal life, to expect that Jesus will judge. These are the words of Jesus, God's Son who gives life and will judge finally, and they are true. Let's pray to Him. Heavenly Father, we praise You for Your love for the Son. We praise You, Lord Jesus, that You return that love to the Father, and we praise You, O Almighty God, that when we trust in the Son, we are enveloped in the love of God. We are given eternal life that resurrects our dead souls. We praise You that we have eternal life even now. Those of us who have trusted in You, oh Lord, will You fortify our assurance of salvation? We praise You, Lord Jesus. It's in Your name that we pray. We give all our praise to Jesus. Let's stand and sing.